Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale June 1st, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada, a.k.a. Agent W. Yeah! I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it going. Sure. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another way to play with your name and co-opt it. I'm going to take it and steal it. All right, you keep thinking on I'll, that. I'll work on it. Yes. Uh, there's a lot going on. It's been a busy week. We have a lot to get to because this is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics, where we run you through every brand new Marvel comic out every week. We pick three of the books from the whole list that are our favorites. We tell you uh, some really fun stuff about them. Try not to get too spoilery. We're then going to give out awards to all the other books. Those are fun. Those are silly. We'll get into all that later. We'll tell you what's on Marvel Unlimited this week. What is uh, in collection this week? And on top of all that, we also have a reading club where we are joined by a guest and talk about something in Marvel Unlimited. Jasmine, who are we talking to and about what? We are talking to Walt Hickey, who is a writer journalist over at Insider. And he's also the author of his newsletter, Numlock News, which pretty much just tells the news by the numbers. We know each other from previous work um, over at 538, but we got in touch again to talk about the history of Marvel Comics, Black Panther, and he interviewed me for his newsletter and we decided to bring him onto the show since he's a huge Marvel fan. We're going to be reading Hulkling and Wiccan Possibilities, which is the four-issue Infinity comic uh, available on MU, as well as a physical copy that is coming out later this month. Yeah. Uh, This is also the kickoff of Pride Month, and it's a Mm -hmm. perfect book to kick Pride Month off with. So get hyped. Get excited. Best time of the year. Woo, 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 woo. All right, let's get into our picks of the week, starting with Captain Marvel number 38. Yes, another issue of Captain Marvel, another one of our picks of the week. That's just the way it goes, ya hosers. This is such a great issue. Most of it, I will say most of it, is a spotlight on maybe the best new character of 2022-ish, Binary. This is uh, written by Kelly Thompson. Art by Juan Fergari and Alvaro Lopez with colors by Jordi Belair. Letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, So yeah, Juan does the front part of the issue, which focuses on binary. And Alvaro Lopez does the uh, back half of the issue, which is focused on Carol. Because we do catch up with Carol Danvers. She has been out of the picture for a little bit and... We've seen that binaries had to step up and fill the Captain Marvel sized hole on Earth, (laughs) and she's doing it incredibly well. She's saving cats. She's eating tacos. She's going into sewers. She's punching robots. She's petting um, Bodega uh, Bodega Cats. It's so good, so pure. Binary is so sweet and funny. I love Kelly everything Kelly writes. And I think she does these kinds of characters who are finding their way around in a world. She does that so well. It's a lot of fun. She's joined by spider woman in this issue as well as hazmat. So you get lots of great interactions between Carol's besties and binary here. And then in the other part of the story, which is all about Carol, it is super duper cool because we've got like mystery and shock and a weird location. I also want to shout out Alvaro Lopez who often teams up with Javier Rodriguez on art. Mm -hmm. And you can see how Alvaro has some of the style that contributes to when they do their partnerships, but is very much of his own. And it is beautiful. It's cool. It's a very different vibe from the 
front part of the issue by Juan, but nonetheless exciting and pretty gnarly. There's a big old dragon. I'm just going to say that. Get ready for some dragon action and Carol Danvers. And then that last page. That reveal. Mm. Oh, man. Mm. It's like, I'm so excited because it's it's been a long time coming. I mean, this was a story that was kind of built up in the last year. I feel like, wow, has it been a year already? Feels like. And like, there's going to be some repercussions that Carol's going to have to face. All right. Uh, My first pick of the week this week is Black Panther number six, which is written by John Ridley with art from Stefano Landi, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I've been waiting for this issue the entire time that we've been reading this book. I think in the first couple of issues, we get uh, the confrontation between T'Challa and Storm and I love them together because there's so much tension between the two. They have so much history together. And this issue is the issue that finally like puts these two in in the single room together and makes them talk about like everything that's happened. If you've been following along that, you know, that Storm has also been figuring some things out. Like they've both been playing almost like 3D chess with each other where they've been trying to position their their pawns to uh, essentially figure each other out. And having them kind of be able to finally address it and talk it out and explain. And not only are they talking about the things in the betrayals that have happened earlier in this run, but they're talking about stuff that like, I mean, they bring up civil war, they bring up all of this stuff, their marriage, uh, it getting annulled. And like, it's the messy, petty drama that I'm here for. So I'm very excited for this issue. Uh, Also, the art is just so dynamic. And like, there's so much action here. It's unique. It's not like the the standard like just punch fest. It's it's very clever how Stefano uses like the the surrounding areas and like the environment to really like make this feel like a like a, a fight or like a chase. And yeah, it's a very dynamic issue. I'm a big fan. I uh, can't wait to see where we keep going with this. Indeed, another also final page. Oof. 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 Hell yeah. So hyped. Yeah. All right. Our third pick of the week is X-Men 92, House of 92, number two. It's House of XCII, number two. And it's written by Steve Fox, art by Salva Espin, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, I think we picked the first issue when it came out, picking this one again. Definitely. It is basically doing the House of M storyline, but through the lens of the X-Men animated series from the 90s, the X-Men 92 vibe. It's not exactly that, but it is, you know, inspired by, and it is so much fun. The, like the text pages that we get in current X-Men books, they put them through that lens and they feel like these nineties pop magazine pages mm-hmm. that you might read in a teen beat or something like that. Yeah, You've got the Moira character is, and this is a spoiler. If you haven't read it yet, you don't know what's going on. If you haven't read the first issue. Right. If you haven't read the first issue is Jubilee. So the Jubilee in here has Moira's like reincarnation powers of a sort. And we go through Jubilee's various lives. Um, we get to see her as a vampire, get to see her fighting side by side with Strife. There's I love ri- that. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. There's riffs on classic X-Men moments. There's a shot from, I think it was a poster. It was either a poster or a pinup from the 90s of the x-men at a, at a swimming pool oh yeah jubilee and colossus flexing together like i've seen that the original image so many times but to see it here in this version is so much fun you could tell that these creators absolutely love this vibe they're having so much fun it is oh, absolutely it's a blast there's definitely drama and tension and, and craziness and wild stuff but it is done with such 
pun intended, jubilation throughout. Yeah. And uh, one of the pages in here I have to highlight is a flyer for a, oh, yes. a concert. And, you know, we Krakoa had the concert. Yeah, the there was a concert at the beginning of the Krakoan era in the regular Marvel continuity and with Dazzler and stuff. And then here it's a sim, it's not even a, a concert flyer. It's a uh, mixtape cassette tape, mixtape flyer where um, you get to know the inner circle, which is the ruling sort of group on Krakoa. And they do it through uh, quote unquote, today's hottest jams, compact discs and cassettes are available at the green lagoon, courtesy of boom, boom and whiz kid. Mm-hmm. But they actually put the playlist on there, which is so good. And it's like for every character in the inner circle, there's a song that goes with it. So professor Xavier's everything I do, I do for you by Brian Adams. I love that Cyclops is, Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. Like, it's perfect. He's so corny. It is perfect. It fits so well. Omega Red, Drain You by Nirvana. Um, Like, these are great. I won't list them all. You have to read it. Yes. But anyway, it's really fun. It's uh, great bits, lots and lots of tiny little details that go into this that make this book excel. And why I, I was like, I have to pick this. It's just a blast. And then because we're talking about you know, this series and you've got Wolverine, you've got Jubilee, that relationship being such an integral part of it and how that is affected by the twists and turns of this series is something that drives the emotional core of the book forward. And it's, it's great. Also, I mean, talk about highlighting sections. I don't want to give it away, but there is one page in here that Ryan and I, like we both had to talk about it before we even jumped on this recording because it was so damn good and it involves Rogue and a jealous gambit. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Also like, Somehow the sexiest rogue ever, but yeah. in a very cartoony style. I was like, yeah. wow, Salva. All right. I love this book. Yeah, it's terrific. And those are all our picks of the week. Now we're going to be talking about the fabulous fresh floppies out this week. But before we do that, we need to talk about the award that we're going to be giving out this week. Are you ready for this week's award name, Ryan? Yes, please. All right. This week, we are giving out the... Just stick a pen in his eyeball award. Um, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmius with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email it to pull list at Marvel.com. Of course, no matter where you send it, make sure you let us know it is OK to read if you have a message in there. And if you're among the first to send it, Ryan, uh, me, I may do something. We'll see. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, um, you know, what was last week's quote? The You Smell Like Pudding Award. Such a good quote. We understand when we record, we don't always have the opportunity to hear folks find the awards right away. Um, So this week we are recording um, and we have a holiday, a whole bunch of stuff going on. So we may not be able to catch you up on the award winner. But I will say, Karis Pollard. The Pride of London. And she says that while she only had two books, she did not find out Who Smells Like Pudding So congratulations to whoever will be the first. But she sent a video of her dog, Layla, trying to identify if there's a puddingy smell on our local alley (laughs) to compensate, which is terrific. I love that. For those of you who didn't find it, last week's quote, the You Smell Like Pudding Award, was pulled directly from Amazing Spider-Man number two. So shouts out to anybody who found it and sent us an email or tweet. Okay. All right. All right. And just know... Even if we don't get to read it here on the show, we will still get back to you when you send us those tweets and those emails, of 
course. So let's dive into our fabulous fresh floppies this week. I'll kick us off with Alien number 12, which the cover here, I every issue we get of Alien, I'm like, y'all, these covers are spectacular because they are. The cover here is, again, by Mark Aspinall, and it is kind of a riff on um, on, on a Queen cover, a cover to the band Queen, um, one of their albums. I've heard of her. I'm kidding. <laughs> and so it's always spectacular. But I... I don't know. There's there's a lot of moments in this issue. I feel like this story in particular, this back half of this first run of Alien has ramped up and the tension is super high and it's all intense and, and wild and super cool. So I'm going to give my Just Stick a Pen in His Eyeball award to the last couple of... Well, it's not quite the last couple of pages. There's a middle bit in this where um, stuff just goes down, where things take a a, like a swift turn for some of the characters especially in one panel they use like a blur effect on it and it's like a big boom and just it's real good it's real exciting i love it all right moving on we have avengers forever number six um and right off the bat i'm giving my just stick a pen in his eyeball award to jason aaron who i think is one of the most underrated black panther writers As I talked about a lot in the show, uh, I worked on the History of Marvel Comics Black Panther podcast series that detailed the history of the character, and I read a lot of Black Panther. And if you haven't read Jason Aaron's Secret Invasion tie-in, I think it's only two or three issues, like definitely do that. It should be required reading because it's so good. But in this issue of Avengers Forever, uh, we get a retelling of T'Challa's origins from a different universe. So we get a new version of who T'Challa is in the Black Panther. Um, he doesn't quite call himself the Black Panther, but the thing I loved about this is, one, it's a play on uh, T'Challa's original origin story, uh, especially against Killmonger, if you are familiar with that issue in J- of Jungle Action um, and that classic story. Uh, but it's so good. It's like, it's very clever. It the way it works and the way that the character is designed as well. And I have to give a shout out to Jim Toe and Guru EFX because the way that this character is designed and colored is just, it's so much fun. I love this book. All right, let's go on to the brutality that is Carnage number three. Uh, I'm going to give my Just Stick a Pen in His Eyeball award to the sadness it made me feel when Carnage fought the spot. I love the spot. What a cool, weird character who has the ability to make these big spots and teleport through his little spot universe. And what Carnage does is upsetting. I'll leave it at that. All right. Next up, we have Ghost Rider number three. And this book keeps getting gorier and gorier. And there's one one panel. It's like half a page. That's clearly just Corey Smith and Brett Peoples like flexing all of their artistic muscles but also just being like i'm gonna make the grossest thing you could possibly see on the highway just appear right here on top of this page and it is very visceral it's very gross and it doesn't stop there and that's why i'm going to give my just stick a pen in his eyeball award to this entire creative team because every time i think that this book gets gross and it can't get any grosser it does and like gross in like a like a horror type way not like you know it's it's gross but it's also scary and like frightening and you don't know what's going to happen next and every twist and turn here just keeps getting weirder and weirder um and i also want to give a shout out to the homie that picks up johnny blaze because he's a real weirdo but real weirdo he was it was funny i love that scene yeah 
on to King Conan number five, which was very nearly one of my picks of the week. I love this book so much. Uh, it is mostly an uh, origin story of Thothamon, the big bad wizard that is sort of hated and plagued Conan for decades and years and wonderful stuff. I'm going to give my Just Stick a Pen in His Eyeball Award to Mahmoud Asrar's art. It's just so good. So good. There's a shot here of this big snake that comes out that that is birthed from Thothamon's vomit that comes to life and then just eats a whole bar full of people. And it is gory and gnarly and gross. And I love it so much. I want this book to go on forever. All right. Next up, we have Knights of X number two. There's so much that happens in this issue. Like I just had to, I was flipping through it again, just trying to like pick one thing that I could talk about. And it's really difficult. Like there's a lot which is like really telling because this story does remind me a lot of like a Game of Thrones type of story where there's a lot, a lot, a lot of moving pieces and a lot of people who are competing to like essentially win the throne. I want to give my just stick a pen in his eyeball award to both Shatterstar and Richter, who I think shine a lot in this book. We're starting to see like they are a couple like everybody else and we're starting to notice things that are popping up here and there. Um, These two characters haven't been together for a while. So like starting to see some of this creep in is very fascinating to me. And then on that same note, there's a moment here that made me like raise an eyebrow because if my partner was flirting or was talking to a a fairy mutant, Mm. I would be very concerned. It almost feels like there's like a like a look at the camera at that moment, like, uh oh, like this might not end well. Um, So I'm really curious to see where that goes. All right, on to Miles Morales, Spider-Man, issue number 38, and I love it. This is just Miles and Shift, uh, aka his big glurpy clone, going through different realities, trying to get back home, and in this reality, things have gone wild. I don't want to give anything away, and I'm going to give my Just Stick a Pen in His Eyeball Award to the two panels in which two characters see each other for the first time in a long time, and it is just love and so sweet and pure uh i don't want to spoil things here i think this issue is fantastic it is full of action great emotional beats it's funny it is um if you love miles morales you gotta be reading this yes you have to i'm gonna also kick us off into the star wars books for the week because we have two and first up is Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 23. I'm going to give my Just Stick a Pen in His Eyeball Award to one of the stars of the issue, Dengar. Because Dengar gonna dang. He dengars a lot in this issue. He's just a big a big idiot, but in the best way possible. It like, Is he a himbo? Would you, would you call him a himbo? Ooh, he's kind of himbo-ish. Okay, I, I'm here for it. Yeah, he's kind of himbo-ish. Riding around on, you know, speeders and getting in trouble with people and lying and eating food. And it's funny. And uh, yeah, big Dengar action in this one. Love it. Next up is Star Wars Darth Vader, number 23, who I think it's he's got some some massive himbo energy. Darth Vader, would you say? Maybe Anakin more so than Vader? I don't know. That's definitely a question that is not the is Vader a himbo question, but the... Anakin or Vader, are they the same person question? I mean, obviously, yes, but at the same time, he's gone through a transformation and we start to kind of pick at that here. And I want to give my Just Take a Pen in His Eyeball award to Sabe, who is one of Padme's like best friends and like 
partners, but also like is such a badass in this book. Like she sticks it to Vader and like stands up to him, which is a terrifying thing to do is, you know, someone who doesn't have any like Jedi powers, like she is a normal person. And for her to just be like, yeah, I'm going to call you out. Uh, I know who you are and I know that you're still in there. Maybe, I don't know, help me out. And to see Vader kind of just be like, oh crap, like you you have something on me here. Like, oh no, like I have to play along now. It's really fascinating. I think this was a confrontation a lot of people have been waiting for and I think it pays off. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yes, indeed. All right, last new issue for us to talk about this week is Strange Number 3, nearly yes. one of our picks of the week. It is a true ding-dang delight. Holy moly. It features the Sorcerer Supreme, Clea Strange, going around just kicking ass, taking names, being a total scary badass. I love it. Her vibe is so different from Steven's. And I I like, like, oh, good. Can we just have Clea as Sorcerer Supreme from now on? And I love Steven Strange, but like, I'm all about this. I want her forever. Like if if Steven's the one who always has to hold the knife, Clea is like, I got a chance. I'll move. (laughs) <laughs> you know like she does not play and i think that one of the things that we've been saying throughout this entire the past three issues every time we bring it up and we talk about it on the show is that like she is not only the sorcerer supreme of earth but also of the dark dimension and as much as we kept on like you know trying to drill that in like this is the issue where like we see what that really means and whew, is it scary man so i'm gonna give my just stick a pen in his eyeball award too VC's Corey Pettit for one particular panel where it is so perfectly executed what the word balloon achieves that is also it, it's done masterfully by writer Jed McCain and penciler Marcella Ferreira, um, but it all comes together. But the lettering there ties it all up so well, just absolutely crushed it. I love this issue. I love this series. Oh, I love this book so much. Mm hmm. All right, that's it for our fabulous Fresh Floppies this week. Um, But we got some Infinity Comics coming uh, this week as well. We have X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number 37, which came out on Monday. Patsy Walker Infinity Comic number four and Alligator Loki uh, coming later this week. Yeah. Uh, Oh, throughout the rest of Marvel Unlimited this week, it is a huge week. There are so many books in MU, like you'll get like, 10 months worth of subscription in one week. You got Black Widow issues out this week. Black Widow number 14, Black Panther number two, Silk number two, She-Hulk number two, Silver Surfer Rebirth number two, a bunch of Devil's Reign issues, and so much more. You got to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited to read these. Definitely. And then over in the collections, we have lots of omnibuses, omnibuy. We need to really figure out what the plural is. We have two Conan omnibuses, uh, Conan the Barbarian, Original Marvel Years Omnibus Volume 4, as well as Savage Sword of Conan, the Original Marvel Years Omnibus Volume 4. I love this like series that's happening. Um, the Marvel June 1962 Omnibus. Those are so much fun. It just it literally just takes a month from our past and puts all the comics that came out in that month together into one collection. And it is wild to see like how many amazing stories came out together at the same time. Like that would have been a great month to be alive and be a comic book fan. Heck yeah. All right. That is it for the releases this week, but we definitely still have more show for you because it's time for our reading club again. Jasmine, what do we got going on? We are talking to Walt Hickey, who is the writer of the Numlock newsletter. And we're going to be talking about Hulkling and Wiccan possibilities.
All right, Jasmine, it is time to explore some possibilities with our reading club guest this week, Walt Hickey. Hello, Walt. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah. you. This is awesome. I'm so excited for this. Walt and I used to work together at 538. I mean, he writes a newsletter, a daily newsletter called Numlock News, um, which is the news by the numbers as the catchphrase or the little like subtitle reads. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And so we are here uh, talking about Hulkling and Wiccan possibilities, which is really fun and exciting for us because it is our first reading club covering our Marvel Infinity comics. For anybody who is listening and does not know, the Infinity comics are uh, scrolling digital series that we put up on Marvel Unlimited. They are vertical comics that um, allow our creators to tell stories in new and exciting and fun ways. And um, they do get adapted into paper comics. Uh, some of them do. I believe Hawkling and Wiccan has one coming uh, this summer. There's one of the Jonathan Hickman, Declan Shalvey series of X-Men Unlimited. And um, so it's cool. There's different ways to read them. But I highly, highly, highly suggest everyone go check them out on Marvel Unlimited. Read them the way they were intended to be read. Yeah. Just to add on to that, this issue of the Hulkling and Wiccan series comes out in June, June 15th. So perfect for Pride. Ooh, it's like we plan these things. Ooh, I know, right? (laughs) Sometimes things work out well. Hey. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, Walt, this was your pick. What did you choose this one for? I was talking to Jasmine about her excellent uh, history of Marvel Comics, Black Panther. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, just how we got back into comics and how we got into this. And, and I would say that the Wiccan Hulkling, like the, that young Avengers class, that 2005 kind of group of new characters was really um, central for me in, in getting back into Marvel Comics in particular. And, you know, I've been following these characters for years. I've, I've enjoyed every appearance that they've kind of had. And it's just, it was really cool to kind of see them get their own chunk of the world. It's really cool to see them get their own, you know, individual stories and, and kind of interiority in a way that, you know, you, a lot, sometimes Marvel characters don't always get that. And, it, and it's very nice that these two characters have kind of endured in such a way that, you know, I have really enjoyed the kind of new medium of, of the Infinity Comics. And I've really enjoyed the kind of chance to tell like really kind of focused stories on like very character driven stories um, that, you know, might have kind of a tight cast, but like really get into the some really good stuff with them. And so I don't know, I really enjoyed this comic. I really enjoyed these characters. Uh, and so I thought it was a great chance to kind of dive in on some of these. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that Wicked and Hulkling and and that era of comics got you back into comics. Can you tell us a little bit about when did you first get into comics? Where did you grow up? And and did you read comics as a little kid? That kind of stuff. I would say, you know, there was that big kind of wave of films that came out in the early 2000s of like the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies that, you know, got me interested in the characters and, and, and diving in. I would say that I ha- I didn't take a, a dive properly into like the 616, so to speak, until, you know, I was in high school and college what got me back into comics was I was reading a lot of Neil Gaiman's comics. And, you know, after I read all of his work, I was like, well, what's the most like this in Marvel? And somebody was like, you should read the Loki Journey into Mystery series that Kieran Gillen did. And I dove into that and I loved it. And I was like, I want more of this. And then the folks were like, well, if you like this character, you should look towards, you know, the Young Avengers characters that came out just a few years ago and get back into that. And that was just kind of like really storytelling on a scale that is hard to pull off with a character that's existed since like the 60s it's hard to tell like a new big origin story and and characters finding their way in the world 
with a character that's existed 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, again, Marvel's always had ways of, of kind of doing this and, and reigniting the spark in these characters. But what I really loved was, like, there was a real blank slate with this kind of new class of characters that was really kind of a product of, of the, you know, 2005 era. Some of them were kind of legacy-inspired, but I think that the coolest thing about them is that they've really had a chance to go in their own direction and, and explore new territory that never really has been addressed in Marvel before. And I would say that, you know, I think that that is just such a cool thing to be able to watch in real time. Like a truly, you know, new story with, with characters that are, that are still undetermined yet, that they're still figuring stuff out about themselves in a way that's very, very kind of fun to watch. To think that these characters are almost 20 years old is yeah. mind boggling for me because they don't feel it. I, I think of these characters as just been sort of created not too long ago. Although mm -hmm. obviously, of course they've been around that long. There's, I think about all the stories. I, I share something that was a little disheartening to me. I was doing the dishes the other night and I was thinking about time as one does when they're doing <laughs> dishes. And there's more distance between when I started Marvel oh, no. and now than there oh, is no. from when I started Marvel and Infinity Gauntlet came out. And so I think of Infinity Whoa. Gauntlet oh, as I was 10 years old. My Infinity Gauntlet was Civil War. That's the thing that got me into it. And that was like the coolest thing ever. And that came out in what, 2006? 2006 to 2007, I believe. Yeah. So then like 20 years, less than 20 years. I can't math. But it's 15. I can't do math. It is 15. Okay. You're right. You know, if we're on the topic of math, you know, you have a data journalist on the podcast and I did come with, with some notes and, and some charts. Love it. Uh, there's a thing that really interests me about this, like almost, I want to say like a new generation of heroes, right? Where like you kind of have the, the 1960s are a huge formative part for Marvel where you see a lot of the original heroes come out. And what I pulled basically was the introductions of new characters in a given year. Um, and then how good they were and how if they were good characters, that is, you know, characters that are mostly protagonists and then bad, which is mostly antagonists. And then I charted that over time and I was really struck basically by, you know, first of all, for most of the early years of Marvel, most of the new characters were bad guys because you needed somebody for the Fantastic Four to beat up every week. Right. And then as you kind of get into the 70s, then you start seeing kind of spikes of, of creativity, right? Like in the in the mid-70s, you basically have this period where you can see lots of new characters like Moon Knight come out and, and things like that. And even some of the new class of X-Men, right? That's when you have a lot of the a lot of innovation when it comes to Marvel in particular. But the thing that was coolest about this is that there's been three big spikes you know, since I was born, let's just say, of Marvel character creation and specifically characters that have endured, right? There was this big rush in the early 90s, like 92, 93, 94, that saw a lot of so new many characters villains. created. Tons of villains, right? Because this was a time, again, like, you know, we can talk about the economics of the comic book industry in the early 90s, but this was a time where, you know, you have a ton of Venom villains, you have a ton of uh, spider stories kind of come out and you just kind of see this rash of character creation. And, and that's interesting because you see kind of just everything increase. There's been a ton of creation on both the, the goodies and the baddies, but there's two periods of Marvel that I think everybody here is kind of familiar with. And that's in like the 2004 to 2006 period. And then that's the 2013 to 2015 period where you see a ton of new heroes enter the fray. And so, you know, I think that these were actually somewhat deliberate initiatives from Marvel to an extent to kind of both refresh the lines and introduce new characters. But, you know, so from the 2005 batch, that's where you get Wiccan, that's where you get Hulkling, that's where you get Kate Bishop in that crowd. Um, you get like Amadeus Cho really kind of resonate in a new way during that kind of period. You know, you can see kind of also some of the, the global heroes get, get a little bit more shine. 
But then also you see this 2013 to 2016 period, and that's where you get Kamal Khan, right? That's where you get this kind of new class of heroes like that really kind of, I think, are particularly resonant today. And so I bring all this up just because, like, you know, I think that this comic in particular is very cool because it takes these characters that were kind of from this, like, new heroic age, and it really gets at to why they do what they do. Because the, these new bursts of Marvel comic characters are so fun because, you know their motivations have to be a lot more interesting, I think. Because, like, it's not just, oh, you know, I served in the war and now I continue to beat up Nazis as my day job. It's not just, like, I um, was bitten by a spider and now I continue to, you know, seek that. Because, the, you know, those stories have been told. And the cool thing about Marvel, I think, is that you have these characters that have a new chance for, you know, figuring out what it is to and why it is to be a hero. And that's why I think I love these characters so much. This is really cool. Like, just looking at the data and, like, like yeah. you simply put, like, where you were just talking about, like, those certain data points, like, I can immediately pinpoint. Like, the 2013 to 15 is the Marvel Now era yeah. of comics. I mean, that that 90 to 94-ish time period, it's like, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of the, the spider stuff, but all the X stuff, all the things yeah. that are going mm-hmm. on with the creators who leave to, to go to form image. There's, there's a whole year where every annual release that year includes a new hero or villain character. Um, there's like, uh, the UK stuff that comes into play in there. There's like a million different reasons why that stuff happened. That that's like, I think of my childhood and reading comics at like 10, 11, 12 years old and seeing new characters every week and that explosion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's cool to just kind of remind ourselves that like, you know, however it must've felt to be in like the late sixties reading fantastic four, black Panther, any of this kind of stuff. Like that's kind of, we're in that era for entire t- classes of characters that got rolled out, whether it's like the Kamala Khan's of the world or whether it's like, you know, these Wiccans and Hulklings, there's a, there's a point of maturity that's being added to these characters that I think is just, it's really fun to watch in real time. And that's again, one reason that I love this little, this, this particular comic, because it really dives into, you know, Marvel relationships are always often fraught. Um, I wrote about that once for Marvel.com about Marvel weddings being fascinating experiences for everyone involved and like (laughs) it's just kind of cool to get another look from a different generation on what a relationship can look like in the marvel universe you know i i agree a hundred percent and also i think what is what is exciting for me in reading this we always talk about every comic is someone's first comic so every this comic is definitely going to be someone's first connection to wicked and hulkling and to see a loving relationship at times difficult or you know fraught as you mentioned relationship but a very real relationship i think is super super cool and really important it's so important i think that one of the coolest things that trujillo does is like the it starts with the dinner party and it's literally like you know the original generation of of marvel gay representation of north star having a conversation with like this kind of follow-on and like clearly there's different perspectives there's different depths of experience going on there i just think that that is just such a cool and clever and like you know, you, you never want to say postmodern because that sounds a little bit too on the nose. But like, it's just like, it's really cool to ha- literally have a conversation between two generations of characters of, of queer representation in comics in a way that it doesn't, it's not really forced. It's just folks at a dinner party and talking about relationships. I think that that's just such a audacious move and I like it a lot, you know? Yes. I really want to talk about this dinner party. But before we do that, uh, <laughs> let's list out the creators real quick. Huckling and Wiccan is written by Josh Trujillo with pencils and inks by Jody Nishijima. Colors by Matt Mila, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer, and edited by Alana Smith. Okay, first issue. It, it is Wicked and Hulkling hosting a dinner party. I laugh and I really want to talk about this just because I had this conversation with a couple of my, like, like my queer friend group. 
Yeah. Where we were like, so who's the dinner party gay in our like friend, friend <laughs> circle? Because all of us wanted a dinner party, but like none of us wanted to host it. No, of course And the way that this book just starts with that, it, it was just so funny because it immediately just sucks you into that like culture. And like, you're right. It brings in the different generations of like, you know, previous queer characters. Um, you have North Star and his, and his husband, Kyle. And then you also have Iceman in here. And the conversations and like the dynamics that you were kind of hinted at uh, between them all is like they all have such different experiences and like they all came out at different times in their life as well as different generations like in history as a whole. You know, the, the thing that I think that that is interesting about like Wicked and Hulk and characters is that, you know, they have been in a relationship for a very long time, both in comic terms as well as in their own lives. Right. And. I think that it gets at a couple questions of just like, you know, like perhaps, you know, when they when they were introduced into the world in 2005, like, you know, the instantaneous monogamy that they had, you know, potentially that does limit the experience of the story that they can kind of tell. And so I think that, that them kind of being directly challenged on that is a way to both kind of challenge them as characters as well as challenge like, you know, some of the history of these characters and how they tell that story, you know? The dinner party is a a great moment, but it's a relatively small yeah. part. It is that inciting incident. There's conversations that sort of spark some things between Billy and Teddy, uh, our, our main characters. But the I got to talk about um, Jody's art here, especially the fashion choices, oh because the characters look so good, especially the little touches. I really, really dug on um, on North Star and uh, Kyle. North Star, the like top of his uh, dress shirt is cut out like his North yeah, Star symbol. Yeah, it's not a V neck. It's and a star the, neck. <laughs> it's a star neck. And then they're both wearing star North Star know, pendants. So just the two of them. It's just like this really sweet little thing. And then Bobby, aka Iceman, comes in. He's got a, just an X Men necklace on. Um, the 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 clothes that uh, Billy and Teddy are wearing are tremendous. Like. Like Billy changes Teddy's clothing using magic, and he's like, oh, "It was really tight." And like, ve- I felt very seen in there. Like, I hate wearing dress-up clothes that make that are tight, but that's often what you're like. It looks yep. better, and I'm just, just like, "No." It. Also, like, I would kill to have that ability just to like immediately magically conjure up a new outfit whenever. Yeah, the design choices are just, they're really, again, they're bold in a lot of different ways. And I like them because I think, like, you know, in a lesser comic, they would just be dressed up. But I think in this, like, there's really a ton of thought put into really the details, which I think also speaks to these characters in a way that, that I like a lot. So, A lot of these uh, backdrops and, like, designs also just help with time passing. Like, it, like, helps, like, create that illusion that time has passed um, between these individual scenes, which I like a lot. It's almost like a, like a side swipe type George Lucas like transition where it's like okay we're in a different like time period now yeah the infinity comics and you know this kind of style of storytelling the vertical scrolly telling in general is like it's really cool because it, it does kind of put you in it in a way that I think that you're like you're physically setting the pace your thumb is setting the pace as to how you read it whereas the pacing I think needs a lot more work for one of these than for for you know your typical kind of floppy I wanted to bring us to the next scene where we're in the bedroom. Two things stuck out to me. Actually, three things. There's pie on the side of the bed, meaning Wiccan eats pie in bed, <laughs> which is, I don't know how I feel about that. Negatively. Um, wow. It's like terrible. Like, why would you do that? Two, <laughs> they get interrupted by a some type of guard or like... It's a scroll guard from... Yeah. Cause it's, it, 
Hulkling is the emperor of the unified Kree Skrull Empire. So looking at the ears, it looks very. But also, scrollish. like, don't they lock their doors? Like he just barges in as, as he as they're like trying to get it on, and it's just like <laughs> he's the emperor. He they're the like emperor and his consort, man. The last thing is, do you think their bed is a king size bed? That that looks California king, or I don't know. Like it has king. to be right. Like, he's a king, so like. Yeah. But what if they were just like, no, you don't get it's, one. Like, you, you're going to have to settle for a queen size bed, even though you're king. It's a holla king, bed. <laughs> there you go. ALA. Yeah, there, he finds a, a video game console, a little handheld console, uh, which I was like, right? oh, I want that. I want whatever it is, because it has interesting placements for the joysticks and the buttons. And I was like, yep, give me that one. I want all the handhold, handheld consoles. Um, it's a fun bit. And then it leads them like this cute moment, but leads into sort of revealing a character who only shows up here at, right at the very end of this first issue, Agatha Harkness. And if you don't know it's Agatha, I'm curious. Like, I, I think between the three of us, we clearly know who Agatha Harkness is. If you're coming into this, I'm curious if you would know who that yeah, was. Yeah, like she's not named. You don't really. She's a kind of in the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like a silhouette. No. I agree. I'm, I'm curious. Like, if you were new to this whole world. Yeah. Well, did you know it was Agatha? Yeah. I did. I did clock it was Agatha immediately. Are you kidding me? I uh, <laughs> Like, it's a magic. It's, it's magic in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> the hair, the, the shirt that comes up yep. real high. It's, the, even just, like, the color of the magic. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, Agatha, that's a great character, too. The, and, you know, for, you know, for the long-term prospects of, of these characters, their entanglement with Agatha Harkness is... Is you know again like Scarlet Witch had a long relationship with Agatha Harkness, positive and negative, and it is so interesting to just kind of see you know these characters get thrown in together, and that's that's and it's almost surprising that it hasn't happened earlier, and I just right. think there's again there's so much potential mm-hmm. here, and, and and you know I don't know how far we want to get into the books and, and how much we want to leave for the readers, but um it's just it's a great opportunity to kind of highlight some of the depth of these characters and, and kind of legacies that they have without you know necessarily feeling completely obligated just to go through the motions and, and reenact the life of their of their parent you know i think that they're, they're really kind of blazing their own trail here in a way that's that's very fun but getting to play with some very familiar characters that um yeah agatha rules i don't know what to tell you that's a, that's a cool character <laughs> like but yeah so like she ties into this the series through that video game console and we kind of learn that like this lingering idea of like you know other possibilities out there is kind of haunting uh wiccan and it manifests itself through this game. He starts the game, uh, which has two little cute Hulkling and Wiccan sprites, which made me really want a like side scroller, like an eight bit side scroller oh, featuring yeah. Wiccan and Hulkling. <laughs> um, and then they wake up next to a new part. Each of them wakes up to a new partner um, in bed that isn't the other person. So like we have Wiccan with this this guy. I have their names. Uh, but we can talk about it in the next issue. But he's with a guy who is a lot less bulkier than Hulk, yes. which I think was interesting. That was an interesting choice, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we have Hulkling with like a, a guy who's even bigger than him. And I, I reached out to Alana about like if she had any like insider behind the scenes stuff. And she was like, yeah, like the scripting process didn't really explain like what these people look like. But what ended up happening was that like Jody kind of just translated these designs and just created these two characters which is oh, that's cool. awesome 
I mean, that just makes me love Jody even more and the work that they're doing on this series so much because these are crazy Mm -hmm. great designs and they're so very different from everything else. Like you can immediately also kind of get a sense of like their power set or like what Mm -hmm. world or part of like the Marvel universe they're from. Yeah, we we really, as, uh, as we go on into the second issue, we start to see them more and more and the idea of the storyline called possibilities and we we follow as wiccan and hulkling are exploring different possibilities that their lives could go on if they weren't with each other and it's you know the beauty of the marvel multiverse these possibilities type of stories where you could go in any direction i mean this is just one possibility but it is very clearly tailored to um, elicit certain feelings and vibes and make them question a lot of things if they come out of it. So in the first, the first issue where we really see them exploring this is issue two and it's just fun. There's romance, there's smooching, there's action. There's this great big moment where we, we finally get go big and he comes in, he just like smashes this bad dude down. It's a big fun action piece. And then uh, a wonderful kissing moment and some conversations. And then we flip over to, to see Wiccan and you've got like a darker, a little bit more um, troubled and, and like, I don't want to say haunting, but there's, there's a, an element of, yeah, complicated and full of some fear and mm-hmm. tension there, um, but also still full of love and um, really interesting how these two weave around each other while being completely mm-hmm. separate. These characters have had stories that aren't specifically about their relationship, which is one reason that I think they're very cool. And like, if you look at like Wiccan was in that Strike Force run that from I want to say two or three <sighs> years ago, stellar Dean run. Howard obsessed loved it it was great it was just so clever but it was dark yeah like it was like it was horror tinged it was like and and like so that character dabbles in that whereas like again like hulkling has this history with with captain marvel and has this history with these empires and has the stories that that are his and his alone and and less so with wiccan tend to just kind of be about exploring that you know kind of you know both refugee history as well as like the the kind of war-torn um space saga that has been going on in marvel for years so i don't know like i loved how each of their 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 new partners reflected those kind of elements that aren't necessarily reflected in their current relationship like they almost feel like if they weren't dating each other this is where they would be in like the current marvel continuity had they never gotten together or had they broken up or something because you're right they're each exploring their own little pocket of the the marvel universe so there's a moment where we learn that like Wiccan's uh, new partner, he's a wraith, so he can't, he's trying to like hold Wiccan and like his hands aren't solid. So like they can't hold each other. So he's like, Wiccan is trying to help him, like try to restore him, trying to, you know, get to that point where they can like hold each other. And I thought that that was an interesting contrast to the fact that like we were talking about that big fight with Gobig and Hulkling, like Gobig picks Hulkling up. Hulkling probably has never had that happen to him because he's so big. But also, like, meanwhile, we have Wiccan not being able to even, like, touch his, like, partner. That's a cool find. Yeah, and, like, that leads him to, like, Wiccan trying to cast a spell to kind of restore that. And if you are familiar with Wiccan, his spells are just, like, you know, he says what he's doing over and over and over again. And so he says, like, uh, restore my lover, restore my lover, restore my lover. And... Restore my love. says lover. Oh, because it's no, yes, because the right. R is from restore, oh, and so restore my lover is good. But I think restore my love fits a, a broader scope of what the story mm-hmm. is doing, and it connects to to both of their stories. 
Um, and I just felt it was it was a more it is a more beautiful way to to, to cast. This is this stuff. is a moral for all future magic users. Don't be specific. Don't say I want to restore Eidolon, restore Eidolon, restore. Eidolon. Be completely non-specific as possible. Nothing can go wrong. Yep. Nothing yeah, can go exactly. wrong, including uh, being able to essentially get a like a, a vision of Hulkling, um, where he starts to kind of see him, and Billy's like, "Wait, what was that?" From what it seems like, Hulkling also got that glimpse of Wiccan as well. So now they both know that something's different or something's off. You know, while you were talking earlier about just the the strength of these characters, we only get, you know, across these four issues, we get little glimpses, mentions of their their backstories, you know, Eidolon being freed from the underworld, but is still this wraith-like creature. Uh, Gobig is, this mentions being a pirate, has lost his, his world and his family to the Annihilation Wave. I'm like... When I finished this, I was like, I love Wicked and Hulkling. I need yes. more Go Big. Yes, and I was Eidolon. just about to comment on like, that right too. Now. Like, by the time we get to issue three, you start sympathizing with those characters. Like, they're not just oh, yeah. foils for Wicked and Hulkling. Like, you start to, like, at one point, Wiccan's like talking to Eidolon and he's like, oh, like, you know, something's not right. Like, I just need to see what this was. Like, I got to try this. I need to, you know, figure out what this possibility or what, where this can take me. And it's just like, you're telling your partner that there is another person that you might be happier with like in this in this new universe like granted like i'm rooting for you yeah uh, billy but also like that's that's a heartbreaking it's like a conversation great villain origin story marvel's always been real great at this like even in the original like the spider-man origin story the hulk origin story all these origin stories for these characters they kind of start off as almost science fiction style fables where you know very tight messaging very specific origin story and i just think that, like it's cool like that's not lost like that art is not like lost on this world anymore you can have a very basic origin for somebody that just tells you everything you need to know about this character and their intentions and, and, and kind of who they are and, and who they want to become in such a tight format that i just again kudos to the to the production team on this because it just it really nails it. And I think it's like very classic Marvel style storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to spoil sort of a ton of this book just to know that I think this one is a very issue three digs a lot deeper into the emotional connections between mm-hmm. Wiccan and Hulkling. And, and you really get to explore some of those beats here. Um, but it has some, a really beautiful moment at the end of, of part three um, it's sad and sweet and a little heartbreaking of what is going through with this, with these characters who, as we mentioned, we don't know that well, but we really are starting to sympathize with. Um, yeah, it's such a good book. book. It's a great like story told at the scale. Like again, like in terms of like what how much it manages to fit into the amount of storytelling space that they have, it's stellar. And, and you know that's you have these characters right that just you know they are not necessarily the front and center of the of the Avengers at this time, but it's just, it's so good how they're able to, you know, get these pockets of storytelling every now and again. We can move on to issue four, but like, I also don't want to necessarily spoil the ending since no, yeah. it is something that's new. And if you wanted to pick this up in June, like I highly recommend it. I was reading an article about just like queer representation in, in like TV shows and like media in general and how like oftentimes when you see a queer couple, like they either have to be absolutely perfect or like, just they break up right away like you never get to see the nuances or like the the messiness and like the end of the story was essentially like you know queer relationships are also messy like they're all they're also complicated they are complex like there are all these moving parts to it and like seeing that here made me feel really good 
to see that type of stuff play out. I really love what you said about queer representation and the messiness and the just the realness of relationships and seeing that here. But I also love that we get five giant panels yes. of yes. them just kissing. And like the, the, this moment of you feel like the camera is spinning around them and this beautiful moment and it is just like celebratory and full of love and it is like, it is not something we get to Mm-mm. see enough in any media that is you know pretty mainstream so i can't wait to see that like full page spread of that because that's going to be gorgeous on paper um this fourth issue we get resolutions or at least some deeper stuff about the agatha Mm -hmm. harkness of it all the pie of it all um which is a great moment and one of the really great things is the freedom that the creators have in telling these stories in this format the last couple of you know moments i don't know that you would get that the same Mm -hmm. way in a print book maybe you would it's hard to say but the way it it sort of shakes out i'm glad this is able to have the room to breathe and tell the story in this way you know it leaves open questions that can always be addressed as you always want to see you you never want to see comic book resolved nice and cleanly you always want to see uh, the next thing coming down the pipeline. And so it's cool to just watch something really use the, the, the full potential of the medium and, and kind of the things that this makes available that a floppy does not. And I don't know. I really appreciated it. Well, Walt, thank you so much for joining us and bringing this book to us uh, to read on Polis. This was a blast. I'm really excited to see where this story goes next. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, I wrote a newsletter called Numlock News. It's a, you know, it's a daily morning newsletter that goes into, you know, stats and cool stories buried in the news. So you can find me there. Uh, I actually wrote uh, some stuff for Marvel.com for uh, some uh, a person that you might know named Tucker Marcus. Uh, and uh, it was it was a few years ago, it, but yeah, it was some data journalism stuff. So like I did uh, how to survive a Marvel wedding. I did some stuff about luke cage and and daredevil and basically I, one time i figured out the exact amount of medical damages that was uh caused during the daredevil show that was a really good time i did <laughs> um every fantastic four costume ever so some cool data pieces so if you if you search for me on the marvel.com site you can see some of what i've done there but yeah check me out at numlock i'm on twitter at walt hickey i'm on marvel.com sometimes and uh yeah thanks so much for having me Walt, you're a ding dang delight thank you for being on the show thanks walt Big thanks again to Walt Hickey, and um, I hope everybody go reads Hulkling and Wiccan Possibilities, uh, whether it's in Infinity Comics or the upcoming print issue. Can I just say that I've pre-ordered every single cover of that of that book? Because I am so excited. What like There's a Luciano Vecchio variant? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Must have. Must have indeed. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Martin is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And the possibilities for Brad are limited. Sorry, Brad. Sorry, Brad. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.